Amen. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we're going to continue in our series on Luke. Um, but to start, um, I got some bad feedback after last week's sermon, so there's something I need to address. Um, I forgot pictures of Lucy. Um, and a few people were extremely disappointed. But look, she doesn't like pictures being taken of her. She's like, please, turn the camera. Just kidding. She's always happy. Um, and so I wanted to start with some pictures of Lucy before we jump in, because I, you know, I did feel bad, because afterwards I was like, they're right. I forgot that whole Lucy thing. And for Jess and I at home, that's kind of like what everything's about right now. So how did I forget to bring it to all of you? So there's my daughter, Lucy. Um, and now we'll jump into everything, I guess. But, uh, well, hello, everyone. Um, we're, we're in week two of a two-week series on the book of Luke. Um, and last week, we looked at how Jesus came to bring an upside-down kingdom. And, and, and what that meant, I, what we talked about is the kingdom of God is defined by the radical acts of mercy and compassion that the king and those who follow him extend to those inside and outside the kingdom. We talked about how Jesus said, love your enemies, do good for those who hate you, and, and give to those even when you won't get anything in return. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. The, the, the picture that Jesus laid out in what's called the Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6 was the values of the kingdom that he, as king, was bringing to the world. And, and we talked about how important it is if we follow him, this is what we're going to look like. We'll look like people who do radical acts of mercy and compassion. And, and so Jesus had this kingdom that he came to bring. And, and the whole book of Luke is, is kind of this story of Jesus laying out, here's the values that you're to follow. And, and he's not really saying anything new. In fact, if you read the Old Testament with the right mindset, what you'll see is that what Jesus said was the values the Old, the Old Testament was trying to bring. But unfortunately, humans, because of our sin, because of our selfishness, because of our greed, we just miss it. And, and so when we come to the book of Luke, we, we need to remember that Jesus is bringing something that's new, but only new because people have rejected it so wholesale. It, it's what God intended, was that we would be a people who did radical acts of mercy and compassion. And so we're going to look at that today in light of the resurrection. We're, go, we're jumping right to the end of the book of Luke. And I do want to say, so we went from chapter 6 to now 24, and we're not even going to talk about the stuff in between. And it's not because there's not important good stuff in there. It's because we only have two weeks before we start our series this fall. And the series this fall, Acts, Acts is written by the same guy who wrote Luke, Luke, and, and the book of Acts is part two. And so today we're going to look at the, the kind of foundational premise of the entire book of Acts. But before we jump into that, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are so good. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus, that as we are going to celebrate in a little while, that his body was broken, his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And we thank you that his body did not remain in a tomb. We thank you that spices were not covered over his corpse as would have been traditional then for a body like his. And, and we thank you that, that instead he rose and he ascended to heaven. And we thank you that because of that, we can celebrate his death knowing that his death led and leads to life. We thank you for this time that we have. We thank you that uh, we, we have access to your spirit. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would be speaking through me. They would be your words, not mine, and you give us all ears to hear. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going we're gonna to jump in to the moment after Jesus dies. And so Jesus is on the cross. He says, it is finished. He dies. A centurion, a Roman centurion, says, this man was innocent. Um, and, and it's like a praise moment, and we don't have time for that. But, but then after that, we see that, that there were some people watching. There would have been the people who were against Jesus watching and rejoicing in his death, but there were also the women that had traveled with him throughout his ministry. They're mentioned in Luke 9 and throughout his ministry. And so we're, we're going to start there, but to start there, we actually have to start with a guy named Joseph. When Jesus died, after he had died on the cross and they were taking him down, there was this man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council. And what that means, a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he was a member of the Jewish council that tried and succeeded in having Jesus killed. But this Joseph of Arimathea had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. And so what does he do? This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned home and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. And it's here that we're going to pause for the first time. The, the women had seen Jesus on the cross. They had seen him die. They had seen his body taken off the cross, and they followed, and they saw the body placed in the tomb. These same women would have heard when Jesus said, I'm going to die, and three days later I will rise again. And when they saw that body go in the tomb, what did they do? They didn't park lawn chairs in front of it and say, just wait. Not at all. They didn't dare believe that. Those closest to Jesus did not dare believe he would rise on the third day. Why would you? Well, what, if, if, if you go back and read through Jewish history around that time, there's stories of other leaders that claimed to be messiahs. And, and what happened to most of them is well, they were killed. And when they were killed, it wasn't very surprising. When Jesus brought these radical values that upset or offended everyone that didn't jump on board, it was a, a foregone conclusion that eventually... He's probably going to die for this, especially because when you see early, if, if we went back, it, before the, the story of last week in Luke 6, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, the Pharisees get ticked off, and the very next thing that happens is they start plotting his murder. From before the first time he does a full teaching, they're ready to kill him. So we knew this was coming, and he told his followers it was coming, but they did not dare believe that he would really rise again. And, and again, why would you? Why would you? Watching him die, it, it would have been a very undignified death. I, when I think of this, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a leap for a moment. Um, and if anyone has never heard the story of the Alamo, mute for a minute or run outside. But um, when I was a child, I was at my grandparents' house. I, I was under 10. I don't know exactly how old. But I remember I got to just sit and pick what I wanted to watch on TV. And I decided to watch The Alamo because Davy Crockett was in it. I was a big Davy Crockett fan. And when I watched this movie, I kept waiting for the good guys to win. And I kept waiting. And I got to the end of the movie, and I'm this little kid, and I'm like, what are they going to do? It looks like they're about to lose. And then they get, like, bayoneted, and they get shot, and they get killed. 
And I remember as a little kid, just I, I remember like I cried about it because I was like, that's not what's supposed to happen. But then as I got older, that's what I expected more and more to happen, right? I mean, that's what we expect when we hear about these amazing things. We don't expect the good guys to win and then live forever like Jesus has claimed. We, we expect there to be an end. We don't dare hope for a resurrection. And the followers of Jesus who were closest to him the disciples and the women, the, the, the closest of his disciples, did not for a second believe that he was coming back to life. Or else they wouldn't have gone and prepared spices and ointments. They wouldn't. And all his acquaintances, this is the women, and the women who had followed him from Galilee, they stood and they watched at the cross. That's in Luke 23. They, they saw him die. And what did they do? They, they didn't dare hope or believe that he would rise on the third day. But on the first day of the week at dawn, they went to the tomb, these women who had prepared the spices, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But then when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Even when they saw the, tomb, the stone rolled away, they're like, oh, well, someone did that, so let's start working. Um, and then his body wasn't there, and they're shocked. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise. What's important here is that throughout the book of Luke and throughout the other Gospels, every time Jesus talks about his death, do you know what he also talks about? His resurrection. And, and at, at some certain points when he talks about his death, the response of some of the disciples, Peter in particular, is, hey, stop talking like that. But they're not saying, stop talking like you're going to rise again. Stop talking like you're going to die, Jesus. No one ever got to the point of, you're going to die and then you're going to rise again. They could not believe that. They could not dare hope in that. But the women, after they heard that, they, they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. The apostles being the eleven disciples, because you got rid of Judas Iscariot at this point. And and. But these words seem to the apostles to be an idle tale. And that word idle tale brings with it nonsense. Pfft, yeah, right. Yeah, right. They, they did not believe them. They did not dare believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. But, but they did not dare really believe he had risen. The, the women now believe it, and the women are the first. It's, Luke is an interesting gospel because he has a very different background than the Jewish other background. And so when Luke has the women declare first that it was Jesus who rose, it's, it's an important moment that, that in Luke, it's very important that we see that there. But the apostles did not believe. They saw the miracles of Jesus. They, they saw Jesus heal and cast out demons. They saw him raise people from the dead. But the idea that he could raise himself from the dead even though he said that over and over, it seemed like nonsense. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. 
Now, these two are not any of the 11 disciples. They're just two other followers of Jesus because he didn't just have the 11 disciples and then those three or four or however many women. He had a, a pretty large following um, at this point. And, and the, but these disciples on, on Easter Day, they are leaving Jerusalem. And they're talking about it, but, but it just doesn't seem like they really believe it. They're, they're not out looking for Jesus. Maybe he's in Emmaus. They're just on a journey. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So these two guys are walking, and all of a sudden, a third guy pulls up, and he's just talking with them. And he said to them, Jesus, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walked? And they stood still, looking sad. They're sad. Jesus is dead. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And I want to pause here for a moment. When they call Jesus a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, there's a problem with this. I mean, it's true, but there's a problem if they believe that Jesus is really dead and continues to be dead. Because one of the most important things we can understand about Jesus is that if you read through his Gospels, again, he always ties his death with his resurrection. Whenever he talks about dying, he promises to be living on the other side three days later. And so Jesus could not be a mighty prophet in deed and word before God unless he resurrected. In fact, without the resurrection, Jesus is a liar, a scoundrel, a jerk, a manipulator, an an arrogant fool. And I don't say all that thinking Jesus is any of those things. But but you can't say, well, he is a good teacher. I don't believe in the resurrection, but I believe in the rest of it. Because Jesus called himself the Son of Man. He said he would rise again. He put himself in a position of great authority, according to the Old Testament, and promised his resurrection. And if he did not do those things, he's a slimeball. And again, Jesus is not a slimeball, okay? It feels weird to say it out loud, so I just... But, but I need to stress that, because, because when Jesus... When they say this, they're so sad, But if they remember his teaching, the choice is either he was a liar and we shouldn't have followed him, or he did rise again. In fact, they go on to say, but we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. We don't hope anymore, is what they're saying. They're saying, it's over. They don't dare to hope. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning. They, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. So they're leaving. The body is gone. The women are saying he's risen from the dead. And they're still just walking away and having a casual, sad conversation with Jesus while not realizing it's him. And he said to them, Jesus, oh foolish ones. And I chuckle when I read this. Because um, imagine being on the road and you're telling a guy who, like, the starting point of this is like, like, are you the only person who doesn't know about this? And then the guy turns around and says, you fools. 
right? I mean, it's just, it's, he's, oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so they're standing there with this man they don't know as he walks them through scripture, beginning with Moses, Genesis, from the beginning, beginning with Moses and all the way through the Old Testament. And what he's doing, what he's doing is he's showing them that the whole Old Testament points to the resurrection of Jesus. Now, some of you might be saying, of course, yeah, that's obvious, but, but the idea that's so important here that we have to sit, we have to consider, is, is that sometimes we think the whole Old Testament points to the cross and the death of Jesus. But when we read the Bible, do you know what we find? We find that the cross, this amazing moment, would not be that amazing on its own. If Jesus just died on the cross, he didn't even die alone on the cross. There were two other dudes who died on the cross that same day. Dying on the cross was not something that the Romans said, let's roll this out one time because this guy said he's the son of God. It was a normal type of, like a criminal punishment. It was not a, a lightly done punishment, but it was a punishment that the Romans were able to do. They didn't have to figure out how do we get a piece of wood and put, how do we do this? They, it was something that the Romans did. Jesus was not the only one hung from a cross. But the Old Testament points not just to the cross, but to the resurrection. When God promised David that there will be one from your line and from my line, he says that he will reign forever, which implies that he has power over death. He has the ability to defeat death. And if Jesus could not defeat death, then when we go back to Genesis and we read about God promising a serpent that, that there will be one who will come from the line of the woman who you will bite his heel and he will stomp your head, crush your head, that would not matter if death was not actually defeated. And, and the whole Old Testament points to the resurrection of Jesus is such an important thing for us to understand today. Because sometimes we stop at the cross. And when we stop at the cross, we stop at something that on its own is not very extraordinary. Yes, it's extraordinary that Jesus willingly went to the cross. But if he had not risen again, then all of his words would have fell to the ground and he would have been a liar. We would not take communion at all if the story ended with his death. Or if we did, it would be really weird. It just, it doesn't work because he promised that he would rise again, and he did. The whole Old Testament points to the resurrection of Jesus. So beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village, Emmaus, to which they were going, and Jesus acted as if he were going farther. They still don't know it's Jesus. Um, but, uh, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. It's too late to keep traveling. So he went to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he vanished from their sight. Jesus, who before... Before the resurrection, he had broke bread with his disciples. He does it again. They see it. They recognize him. And in that moment, what do they said? The, the unnamed guy in Cleopas, they said, do not our hearts burn within us? Or did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened up to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour. Remember, that far gone hour 
It's too late to travel. They rose that same hour, and they returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, and they said, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told them what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were saying these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were all startled and frightened and and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why did doubts arise in your hearts? Even even when they saw him back, they did not dare believe it was really true. Because how could it be? And he said to them, "Why, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. That, that it is myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy now, and they were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. And I like to think that, that he ate to show them, see, I can even eat things. Just, I'm here. I'm alive. I've returned. I've risen. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophet and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Again, the the Old Testament points to the resurrection. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now we're going to pause here a moment. There's a word that might stand out a little bit. Huh? Huh? That's our fall series. It's our fall series. It's called Witness. And, and Luke is part one, Acts is part two. Luke is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And then Luke, in Luke, Jesus says to his disciples, you will be my witnesses. And then they are his witnesses. And the whole book of Acts is about the followers of Jesus becoming the witnesses of Jesus, doing radical acts of mercy and compassion throughout the whole world to proclaim that Jesus is risen. And that word witnesses, witness, um, this is a cool nerdy thing. Um, Behind that word in the Greek is the same word that we get the English word for martyr from. But the word martyr, as in someone who believes in God so much that at some point in their life they die for their belief, is is not a biblical term. And you might say, well, what do you mean, Matt? We call early Christians who died for their faith martyrs. We call Stephen the, the first martyr. Well, yes, in our modern English we use that. But if you look in the Bible, that word witness does not refer to how someone died, but how someone lived. And it's it's a command to all believers to be witnesses on this level, that we live in such a way that if death were an option, we would willingly choose it. But it's, again, not about death. It's about living a life that testifies to the resurrection of Jesus. It's about living a life that says, I have been forgiven because Jesus died for my sins, and it has been verified by his resurrection. And if we don't recognize that, if, if we think, oh, that's not really our job, if, we, if we're not out there proclaiming it, if we're not testifying to what God has done, then we are missing out on what Jesus commands us to do over and over. And, and, and so Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. You are going to be the ones who go testify to these things. But wait, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. 
And that power is going to be the Holy Spirit, which is what for the next eight weeks we are going to talk about. Because right now the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the Holy Spirit, and he is opening the disciples' eyes. But what's going to happen when we come into the book of Acts is power is going to come down on the people in the form of the Holy Spirit. And they are going to be witnesses of Jesus to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Those closest to Jesus did not dare believe he would rise on the third day, even though the whole Old Testament points to the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus kept telling them it was going to happen. And now they are called to be witnesses of the resurrection. They didn't dare believe it happened. And now they're, and they're told, go tell everyone. Go tell everyone. I want to pause here for a moment. Um, and, and I'm going to get nerdy for a moment. I hope that's okay. A really important thing when we talk about the witnessing of the resurrection. The book of Luke and the book of Acts, same author. Um, in, in the book of Luke... In Acts, we see the word crucified eight total times. Only twice do we see it in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the book of going and witnessing. And they don't really talk about the crucifixion. There's one other mention of he was killed by hanging on a tree, but they don't focus on the crucifixion. In fact, the word cross, you know, the the thing Jesus was hung on that we sing in all our worship songs, it's a real big deal. We have necklaces. The cross, very important. Jesus died on a cross for our sins. But the cross itself is never mentioned in the book of Acts. And why that's important, the book of Acts is the only place in the Bible where we see evangelistic people declaring and witnessing what they saw Jesus do. And what do they focus on? They focus on the resurrection. Because that, at the core, is what matters. As Christian, it it does matter that Jesus died for our sins, because if he didn't die for our sins, we would have no way to be atoned before God. But the resurrection is what verifies and proves that what Jesus said he would do, he did. The kingdom of God is verified through the undeniable resurrection of King Jesus, who suffered on the cross, breathed his last, died and was buried, and then rose again. Now, I say the resurrection is undeniable. And a lot of people would say, it's not really undeniable. Um, I like the word undisprovable, but Jess think it, thinks it's like lame or pretentious or something. I don't know. But whenever we talk about it and I say undisprovable, she goes, and, and so I, I, I say that because you can say, I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. But you can't say that Jesus' followers did not wholeheartedly believe it because almost all of them died for it. And they had nothing to gain. Luke, who meticulously recorded what happened from the death of Jesus to when they witnessed him alive, points to the fact that the women went out and made sure they had spices and ointments ready to take care of a corpse. That's what he focuses on. When the disciples first heard it, they didn't say, it's time to go. They went, that's nonsense. Some of, the, some of his followers were starting to scatter because they were like, well, I guess this is over. Let's move on to the next thing. And they were just sad. None of them dared believe it. But, but the reality is, is that there was never a body found. Many of the early followers of Jesus died for their faith, and there's not in recorded history any of the original apostles saying, it was a joke. We did this to make money. In fact, we are pretty sure none of them really financially gained from it. Um, because the early church, was, like in America, we have pastors that have jets and all these different things that 
I don't have time to talk about, but, um, but, but the early church, they did not make a whole lot of money. I, Paul spent tons of time in prison. A lot of the disciples were beaten, were flogged, and eventually died for their faith. We have historical accounts of many of them dying. And none of them said, it's not true. If any of them would have said, this was all a hoax, the first response would have been, why? What was the point of this? The second thing would have been, that would have spread. It would have been really easy to dismantle the resurrection if there was one disciple willing to say it wasn't true. But it wasn't just the disciples, it was the women. It was a larger group of the followers of Jesus who saw and witnessed his resurrection, who were called to go and testify it. As we come to the end of today, I, I want to I just talk to you all about a few things. And the, the first thing I want to say is, if you are here today, and, and if you are here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as your risen King, I, I want to ask you to consider it, not, not because of anything I've said, outside of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And, and, and because if you consider the resurrection, if you consider that with that Jesus is announcing, he has power over death. And everything he said in the book of Luke, building up to it, is, is verified. It's true because Jesus said, I, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. I, I want you to go be witnesses that the forgiveness of sins are possible because I died and rose again. Jesus said that and verified that and showed it to be true with his resurrection. And so if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I, I want to challenge you to consider today giving your life to the resurrected King. In Romans 10, we see that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, King, if, if you put him first in your life, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the gospel in a nutshell. King, risen from the dead. And praise the Lord that both of those things are true. If you are a Christian here already and you've given your life to Jesus, I, I want to challenge you today in a very different way. I want to ask you, if when you think about the Lord, you think about the resurrection? Or do you leave him on the cross? Because I talk to Christians all the time who for some reason leave Jesus on the cross. They think, when I sin, it's like, I, and, and I used to think this, I remember when I was like 11, there was a supertone song that I didn't understand at the time, and out of context, I thought what the super, and you guys don't know who the supertones are, but they're a ska band from the 90s, and they were kind of cool, but not really, but I thought they were cool. Um, but anyways, and I love them still, but um, I, I used to believe that every time I sinned, it was like another cut or another nail driven into Jesus, and it was just Jesus on the cross suffering. But, but the gospel makes it clear. He's not on the cross anymore. In fact, when Jesus breathed his last breath, before he breathed it, he said it is finished. He breathed his last breath, corpse, bam, and then he rose again. From that point on, it, it's done. It's finished. And so as Christians, we are called to live as if it's already finished. We're called to live as if the resurrection happened and called to live declaring that out. We're not called to leave him on the cross, which is something I've done in my past. We're not called to focus on that. We're called to rejoice in that because it's been verified because he rose again. The entire gospel comes back to the resurrection. And the resurrection does point to the cross because without the cross, there would be no need for the resurrection. But we have to see it in light of the resurrection. And so today, in a moment, Bethany's going to come up and play a little music. And while she does that, I'm going to invite you, if you're at home, um, 
get your communion elements ready. Um, and if you're here, I'm going to invite you to come up and grab them and partake at your seat. But, but as you do that, if you're a believer, come up, do it. If you're not a believer, uh, the communion is for believers. But if you're not a believer, today would be a great day to say, Jesus, you're my king. I believe you rose from the dead. I want to live my life for you. And if you do that, I'd encourage you to come up and take communion. And, and when you take communion, what I, what I really want to encourage you to think about is the body that was broken, the bread. The blood that was shed, the grape juice. And, and the fact that we can celebrate that, because even though that's true and that happened, that's not where he is anymore. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that, that you came that you lived a perfect, sinless life, that you, you lived on this earth experiencing all the same hardships and troubles as us, but, but you overcame all of them. We thank you that you were obedient to the point of death, that um, as you were praying before the crucifixion, you said, not my will, but yours to the Father. And we thank you that, that on the cross you died with a word you could have ended it. But on the cross you died. And you were taken off the cross a corpse. You were buried in a tomb. And three days later you rose again. To, to show that everything you said was true. And, and to give us a hope we could not dare to hope of on our own. And because of that, we can stand before you. And, and because of that, we can stand before your Father and we can be called your brothers and sisters. We, we can be called children of God because of your death and because of your resurrection. And I pray that if anyone here does not know you today, if they have not given their life to you, that today that, that you would just draw them in, that they would say, I, I believe that you rose again. I pray that they would say, I, that they would know and, and that they would say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And on my own, I, I cannot be right before you, but because your son died for my sins, because he died in my place for the forgiveness of my sins, and because he rose again to prove it was true, I want to accept that free gift of salvation. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I believe he rose again, and I, I want to live my life for him and be his witness. Pray that anyone here who does not know you would just say that prayer in their heart and would come to know you today. And I thank you as we come before you to take communion, that we can remember your body broken, we can remember your blood shed, and we can remember that you didn't stay there. And we can rejoice in that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Let's join our voices one more time this morning in singing this chorus one more time. Above and below me. Above and below me, before and behind me, in every eye that sees me, Christ be all around me. Above and below me, before and behind me, in every eye that sees me, Christ be all around me. Lord, we thank you for your body broken, for your blood shed. We thank you that we can remember that as a moment of victory because you didn't remain dead. And we thank you so much for that, Lord. We thank you that um, as we sit together, stand together, as we are together today, because of the death of your Son, because of the promise of your Holy Spirit, that what started out with such a small group 2,000 years ago has come to us today, that, that we follow you today because they witnessed your resurrection and, and we can rejoice and we can be witnesses of your works as well. I pray for all of us that, that we would remember who you are, that we, that we would just focus our lives on you, that, that we would do radical acts of mercy and compassion, and that we would feel just empowered and we would know and have faith that, that the acts that we do matter, not just because it's good to do them, but because we know that at the heart of it, we're following after your son, who is merciful and obedient to the point of death, that we might be with you. And so we thank you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we close today, I want to encourage you, um, and also, if people didn't take communion, I'm sorry. I, I meant to say you should partake on your own, so maybe sit and be reflective afterwards, because I think a lot of people are still holding them. That's my bad. All right. As we close today, um, I want to encourage all of you, um, if you're not signed up for a small group, um, I, I just want to, like, encourage you, just join a group. I, my, Jess and I, we're hosting a group. I know there's a bunch of groups that have room, and, and we are so excited for this fall to just sit together and just discuss and build relationships and just celebrate what the Lord is doing. Um, I'm, I'm so excited for the curriculum. You can buy books back there. I'm so excited for what's coming. Parents, make sure you, if you've got high school or junior high students, make sure you get them registered um, for our fall small groups. You should have got an email. If you didn't, send me an email, and I'll make sure you get it. 
But I, I just want to encourage all of you, I, a week from now we start our fall series, and it feels like to me it's really snuck up on us, but I'm so excited about what the Lord's going to do. And I'm kind of biased because I wrote the curriculum, but I'm really excited to see and hear about how God moves through it. I know the Holy Spirit was working in me as I was writing it, and I, I just want to see and, and hear all the stories about how the Lord is working in our midst. Go in peace.